the purpose of this podcast is to really show you the authentic side of what it's like living in Alaska from the people who are currently living here and maybe they've lived here for a long time or maybe they just welcome to my podcast my name is jamin gurker i'm a realtor in south central alaska and my mission is to help people build intentional and significant legacies for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate got here but really to show what their perspective is. So it's not just me talking about Alaska uh, for hours on end. You're actually hearing from other people as well. And today we're very fortunate to have um, <clears throat> Josh. He, uh, he recently moved up here with his, with his family, actually in the dead of winter. They got up here and got through the, the Alcan. So they have quite a story to, uh, to talk about. So uh, please, uh, please help me in welcoming Josh to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Outstanding. So let's go and just jump into this real quick. So uh, where did you guys come from initially when you were moving up here to Alaska? Uh, we came from Pennsylvania. Uh, we started the journey mid-February and my wife Candace took our youngest son uh, by plane and flew here. And the next day I started driving with my father and my oldest son. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's what was it that made you guys decide to move up here from Pennsylvania? Because I mean, that's um, that's obviously uh, obviously quite a step <laughs> to be taking. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I'm, I'm an IT specialist. I was working for a government agency in Pennsylvania and uh, just wanted to try something different. And the opportunity arose to get in with another agency here in Alaska. And uh, uh, we just kind of saw it as a great opportunity to try something different. And uh, what what better place to move to than Alaska, so. Yeah, now remind me, um, did you guys get the chance to, to visit up here at any time beforehand or was this just a complete leap of faith for you guys? <laughs> um, it, it was just completely, everything was brand new. We never visited, uh, never came up at all until like we were officially moved. So um, we sure had just started. I'm sure you just the blew a lot of people's minds right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we started the house buying process with you. Uh, we found you because of your you know, YouTube videos. Um, and uh, we don't regret ever being a client of yours. Um, and uh, we kind of just, we did like the viewings online with you and we just kind of felt like that was good enough. Um, my wife came up early. I did a power of attorney so that if I didn't make it here on time, she could close. Um, and I pretty much never even saw the house until we actually owned it. Uh, Candace did get to walk through it one time beforehand though. So that was good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always, it's always unique whenever you have a scenario like that where, you know, you can't really see the house just for whatever reason until you've actually recorded. I mean, I'm always on pins and needles when that scenario happens because there's always that fear of, okay, well, I know we've gone, you know, we've shown the house as best we can. We've had inspections, we've done all this stuff, but, you know, always you're not 100% guaranteed that a person's not going to get there and be like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, I, I think, 
you know, we, uh, we really had a lot of uh, trust and faith in you and uh, as well as our home inspector and, you know, just everyone in the whole process. So it was uh, pretty, pretty easy. There was a few hiccups, but I think there's always a hiccup in every real estate transaction. Um, but, you know, we were able to navigate through those pretty easily. So that's right. I remember this was the, um, this is the one where the, the as built became pretty important. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I just always recommend as built surveys as much as you can beforehand. Cause you never know what's going to pop up. So, yeah. Cause I mean, this was, you know, a pretty well-established part of Anchorage. Like I was pretty surprised when, you know, it, um, so what an as built is for those of you <clears throat> who are listening, it's a, survey of the property and then it shows on the property where the house sits and where like all the fences and um, in this case where the uh, the carport roof extends over the boundary line with the neighbor so <laughs> now, luckily we were able to um, able to see that and at least knew what we were getting into but yeah, yeah. Um, it was a weird boundary because it didn't like it didn't go perpendicular to the street it was at some weird angle and the neighbor's fence was in a weird spot and the carport and all the, the houses didn't sit the right way with the property lines either is it, it was kind of a weird situation but yeah i remember that and then i was uh, i was actually in florida at the time so i was um, calling up the neighbor talking with him and um you know a great guy but that was like an hour-long conversation because we got off track a lot of times and i'm um a little too nice sometimes maybe on the phone and um, have a really hard time at redirecting people. But we were talking about his uh, VHS collection and um, a lot of other cool stuff that he had. <laughs> and uh, he, he's a bit of a talker. <laughs> he's yes, he is um, absolutely cool guy, but, but yeah, totally. Um, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit real quick. I'm sure this is something everyone's interested in um, with the drive going from Pennsylvania to Alaska, that's almost as far as you can go. So, you know, first off, what yeah. are, you know, what was, what was the rig? Like, what were you towing? What were you towing with? And, you know, how was the, the drive getting up to at least the Canadian border? Okay. So it started off, I think it was February 20th from Pennsylvania. Um, we had to get COVID tests so that we could go through the Canadian border. Um, we pretty much sold almost everything that we owned except for some clothes and some things that my wife has a, uh, you know, emotional attachment to, and then just some house, you know, household items, that sort of thing. Uh, I drove a Honda pilot towing a six by 10 enclosed trailer. Um, and the six by 10 trailer was about six and a half feet inside. So it was a pretty decent single axle trailer. Um, we got all the way to Iowa and that's where I uh, bent a leaf spring pretty badly so that it was almost sitting on the frame. Mm. So we had to find a place to repair it. Luckily the guy, uh, found some place that actually like makes springs in house and they're a lot better than the Chinese ones that come with the trailer. Um, so that was good. We got back on the road and then we hit a giant ice storm in Iowa. 
so we lost a whole like day and a half because uh, we barely made it into the hotel because it was like an ice skating rink. Like it, it was really bad. I don't even know how we made it into the parking lot. Um, so then we kept going and we were facing like a 45 mile an hour headwind uh, going north through the Dakotas. And I mean, 45 miles an hour coming at you just drains your gas mileage. So Especially I when you have a rig somewhere. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I could have been getting about 12 to 15 miles to the gallon normally. I was getting like six to eight. Um, Ouch. So luckily, I was prepared for the Alcan. So I had four or five gas tank or gas cans in the back. Um, I ended up using one in North Dakota because I there's literally nothing in North Dakota. Like it's it's really barren. Um, so I pulled over, filled up. Finally found a gas station, filled up some more. Um, so I had a big plan for the border. My plan was I sold all my guns before I left. I was just going to start fresh. Well, apparently Canadians think that every American needs to have a gun. Um, they didn't like that I didn't have guns and they didn't believe me that I sold them, even though after I showed them my bills of sale, uh, they said, yeah, we don't believe you pull in the lane eight. Um, yeah. Like, what do I have to gain? <laughs> and they were like, do you have any guns? I said, no. Have you ever owned guns? I'm not going to lie. I told them, yes, I sold them all. Who'd you sell them to family and friends? And then they looked at my dad and he like, does he have any guns? I'm like, yes, they're back in Pennsylvania where he lives. I'm moving to Alaska. Here's my employment letter. Anyways, three hours later, uh, they had ripped everything out of the Honda Pilot and the trailer. Luckily, they put everything back. I just didn't know where anything was anymore. So that was fun. <laughs> huh. Yeah, some people have got a really easy experience getting through the border, and some people get delayed three hours for um, having owned a fire arm legally in your own country at some point <laughs> yeah um i mean the guy was the one guy inside was kind of nice he's like you know sometimes you know they say no guns we searched a vehicle there's like 12 guns and so um i think it would almost be better if you just took a couple of guns and you did the paperwork like you're supposed to i just wanted to avoid all the paperwork but apparently that didn't work so that was getting through the border. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's a good start. How the rest of the journey through Canada go? Um, so it's not too bad. Um, it was pretty much good roads and everything until we got to the beginning of the Alcan Highway, which is in Dawson Creek. Um, didn't have any problem finding hotels or any place to stay at up to that point. Um, so then once you actually get to Dawson Creek, you know, you're on the official Alaskan highway. So, um, I recommend getting a, a copy of the mile post. If you ever research driving the Alcan, you'll know the mile post is the book that you need to have. Um, it's not the gospel though, because there are things in there that are false. Like I remember my dad said, oh, there's a town five miles ahead. Um, 
we can stop there and get gas. It says starting the last spring, it was open year round. Well, that was a lie. Um, you'll notice now this was February. So I think a lot of things change in April. Uh, a lot of the towns start opening up. And when I say town, it's not really a town. It's like, um, it's like a building that's everything all in one. It's where you stay. So it's your lodging, it's your gas station, it's your restaurant, and then that's the town. So, um, yeah. And the good ones that are actually open in the winter, they might be one to 200 miles apart. So in a Honda Pilot, pulling a trailer, you might get 200 miles on a tank. So I had four gas cans. I used two um, as on a rotating basis. So if I used one, I would fill it up with my gas tank the next time. I only ever had to use two whole ones. So I didn't think that was too awful bad. No, that's, that's actually getting pretty good. I mean, yeah. Most people will just take one just to be on the safe side, but I mean, especially, I mean, your, your, uh, your rig was not getting a really high efficient gas mileage. So, um, you kind of have to, you kind of have to just know your vehicle, know your rig and know what's going to give you some kind of, um, level of security. If you're, um, driving up with an F-350, one gallon is not going to get you very far. <laughs> no. Uh, but you might, you might get a little better cause you might be able to tow a little more efficiently as well. So it's, uh, you know, I took a little, a, a little trip with it beforehand on a highway. So I kind of had a good idea what my gas mileage would be. Um, another thing I learned, I didn't have this issue, but I've heard other people do is know how to fill up your gas tank with a gas can because some of them have a little valve in there and the nozzle at the, at the pump can get past it, but not necessarily that all the gas cans are able to do that. So there should be like a little funnel that comes with your vehicle or that you can get for your vehicle that actually bypasses that second valve. Interesting. I was not even aware of that. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, it's a, on more newer vehicles, especially the ones that don't have the, uh, the twist cap. I think that's the biggest part to it. So, um, let's see. Gotcha. But yeah. what was, uh, so other than, you know, having to, having to use the, the gas, the spare gas every now and then, um, were there any other big highlights that, uh, really came out of driving along the Alcan for you? Um, well, it was pretty much snowpack the whole way, and that ends up turning into basically like ice. Um, so I took some notes. I have some notes here. Uh, I was driving roughly 60 to 85 kilometers an hour, which is about 40 to 55 miles per hour the whole time. And uh, I was getting passed a lot by people driving like 65 miles an hour plus. Um, they must drive it all the time and are used to it. Uh, I don't really know, but there were some really fast drivers passing you. You just let it go. Um, big trucks, I mean, like they're 
tractor trailer is pulling two trailers and you just slow down, let them go. That's, that was, that was like the safest thing I could see to do was just slow down, let them go around you. Oh, outstanding. Now, now for, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably aware of the of kind of the, uh, the geography for using the Alcan. Once you get over the border, you're, you're kind of like in the interior of Alaska, then you usually drive South, um, to, um, you know, to get to uh, the Matsu Valley, Anchorage, Kenai, wherever it is that you're going. Um, did you notice a big difference in the, the temperature going from like Fairbanks down to Anchorage? Um, we didn't really get out very much. Um, we stayed the night in uh, Took, and then we just kind of drove straight through from there down to Anchorage. So... I thought it was just kind of cold the whole time, but <laughs> it was, there were parts of the trip, especially from the Dakotas, Saskatchewan, um, that area where it was wind chill negative 40. And I, I kind of think anything under zero is all just cold anyhow, and wind chill just makes it just bitter cold. So I don't know how else to describe that, but yeah, I mean, that's actually one big danger. I've been told if you're, you're spending a real extended amount of time out in the, out in the Arctic and kind of the colder areas up in the mountains here that once it gets below a certain point, like mentally, you're just not going to register it. And so you can get yourself into a lot of trouble fairly quick. If you're, you know, if you're backpacking out there and suddenly it's, you know, negative 50 and it still feels like negative 10 to you. So you do but. have to be extremely care careful filling up your gas tanks with a gas can when it's that cold because gas can reach a lower temperature than water can. So if you get that gas on you, it's going to give you some really bad frostbite. Oh, that I had no idea. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> Yes. So I had two pairs of gloves. I had one pair of gloves that I wore when I was filling up the gas tank because you always kind of get a little bit of gas on you with these new nozzles these days. And then I had a pair that I would wear when I wasn't. So once you got here though, and um, I mean, at this point, you know, everything's melted at the time we're recording this, this is right after the 4th of July. Um, This is really kind of, um, Alaska at its glorious time of year now. How are you guys liking kind of the, the change of, of seasons? Because at this point, you guys have really, really have kind of um, kind of seen that change going from the winter to like full-on summer. Yeah, so everything about Alaska's weather is different than what you know from the lower 48. When it's 75 degrees and you're outside for a couple hours, it's hot because the sun is hitting you from an angle all day. And it's not just hitting you from the top, it's hitting the whole side of you. And it's just, you also get so much sunlight because it doesn't get dark till like midnight and then it's still kind of dusk. It's, uh, it's kind of different because you're, if you have uh, like a call, if your your car or the windows in your house are facing the sun, 
that part's going to heat up even longer because of how much daylight's hitting that one area. That's a really good point. Because, I mean, the thing is, I mean, lately it's been about mid-70s. And in most other places, that's going to feel pretty comfortable. But up here in Alaska, where, you know, like you said, we've got that kind of side sun exposure. And then we have the, um, I mean, the sun's out for a lot longer. And plus, we don't have AC. So, you know, it all, uh, all starts piling on pretty quickly. I was telling somebody the other day, I'm actually getting flashbacks to Texas at this point, just because you walk outside, you see like the, the brown grass and it's, um, you know, you hear a slight crunch when you're stepping on the yard. So <laughs> starting to get some flashbacks here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting a little dry right now. So I think everybody is watering their yard a couple times a day just to keep it less brown. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. I'm sure that's uh, that's not what you guys were expecting when you, when you moved up here. <laughs> no, but um, you know it's it's been really exciting because you can just do so much stuff. You know, at at nine o'clock at night you can go hike a trail and you still have plenty of daylight. Um, you do got to be kind of careful because you'll walk right up on a moose or you know something else just right around the corner um you know you just gotta make sure you're with somebody somebody knows where you're at and that you're making lots of noise while you're actually like hiking you know yeah that's that's for sure i mean a lot of my stories in the in the summertime really do in with me saying some version of well it's a good thing this is the summer because you know there's no way we would still have light anywhere else right now in alaska I remember even back in like uh, early, I mean, it was late March. My dad was like, you should go see the Aurora. We're having a really bad solar storm right now. And I was like, I'm not staying up that late. It doesn't get dark until midnight. You know what I mean? Um, We actually went to go, there was a really big solar storm. So we drove south of Anchorage down on highway one. Uh, We went down, oh, probably about 30 miles and the sun just wouldn't go down you just kept seeing it and it just still kept lighting up the edge of the uh the bay there and i'm just like go away son i want to see the aurora you know so uh yeah that's uh that's unfortunate really the the best northern lights watching time is really about november to around the end of february like that's kind of the prime time from what I've, yeah. I've observed. Yeah, well, the equinox is in March, March 20th. So I think it was after that because that's when the days really start getting long. So, yeah, because I mean, once you hit the, the winter solstice, I mean, you've got, you'll start getting like a minute or so back every day. But once you hit kind of that, yep, around that March time period, I mean, you're getting about five, eight minutes of sunlight back every day. And that, uh, that accumulates very quickly when you're looking over the course of a week or even a month. Right. But I mean, conversely, you start losing sunlight very quickly once you start getting around September, October. So it, uh, it cuts both ways. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to shake out in the winter time because, it's going to be basically the exact opposite of it is right now. 
Yeah, I mean, then also, you guys will, I mean, you guys already had a fall in Pennsylvania, but, I mean, it's fall up here in Alaska is pretty glorious, too, because you do have all the forests, and, you know, a lot of the trees do change colors. So, I mean, that's, it's really pretty. Um, you, if you're really into the fall, you might consider just traveling to Alaska, just in general, just um, check that out. All right. So, from your perspective what are some of the pros and cons of alaska you've noticed so far from your time after living up here so uh the first thing that i thought was pretty cool uh the trailer that i bought brand new in pennsylvania i sold for a two thousand dollar profit when i got here um because of the trailer's height they cost a lot more to get shipped up here and they're kind of harder to find. So I bought that trailer for around $5,000. I had it listed for 7,500 and I had it sold in 24 hours. I gave the guy a $500 discount because he was doing it for a veterans organization. Um, but yeah, you can definitely make your money back on a trailer by bringing it up here. As long as it's um, also, as long as it's kind of got that height, though, right? Yeah, if it, I think it's gonna have that height. I was kind of looking around what other people were selling them for, and I probably could have made more money, but I didn't want to do that to someone else. I've also heard that you can do that with used trucks and stuff right now, and I'm I kind of see it. The I think it's just kind of everywhere. The new car market has really messed up the used car market, so everything's inflated. Right. Um, so, but I, I still think you could sell a good used truck here, even in more normal times. Yeah. I mean, there's really, there's always going to be some kind of a demand for, for those used vehicles, just because this is, I mean, we do have a lot of turnover in the area just cause that's, that's Alaska in general. A lot of our population are going to be connected to the oil field or seasonal tourist work or it's going to be also connected with the military and all of those are <clears throat> pretty transitory or seasonal. So, I mean, there's always going to be turnover and there's always going to be someone looking for a car. Um, so one thing people were telling me about before I moved here was how much everything costs. And I think it's kind of like a big misconception that things are just really expensive in Alaska. So, I think that's a little more true when you get away from Anchorage, but in Anchorage, the, the prices are pretty comparable for most um, are a little bit inflated, but you also got to know that like everything gets shipped up here. Not a lot of stuff actually is made in this area. Yeah. I mean, that, that really is huge there too. And I mean, uh, let's see at the time of this recording, let's see, I think it filled up on gas just the other day over at Costco. I think it was five nineteen, if I recall correctly. So, I mean, you know, gas prices are obviously up. Um, they're not as high as they are in some areas of the country, but, um, they definitely are up and, you know, we have started to see an increase in kind of those consumer goods that you see in the store, but, you know, it's, it's really kind of affecting, affecting everybody, though, to some extent. 
But Alaska is increasing that PFD fund a lot this year. Now, unfortunately, I'm not eligible for it because you have to be here for a calendar year. But um, if they keep up that same type of growth, next year I'll be eligible for it. So that'll be good. Yeah, you guys are uh, you're going to make bank off of the, the PFD if they keep that the way it is. <laughs> I think it's like $3,200 this year per person. So there you go. That's a, that's a down payment for another house. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, the other thing is too, uh, looking at like my paycheck here, you know, there's no state tax on your income. Uh, there are property taxes here. Um, Alaska is super vet friendly though. So if you're a disabled vet with 50% or more, uh, you get free hunting and fishes after your first year here. You get $150,000 off the assessed value of your house. You get a free registration for your vehicle, which is $100 a year. And I think there's a lot more that I'm not talking about, but the key number there is a 50% disability for veterans. Yeah, that, that really is huge. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't really surprise me. I'm not a, not a vet myself, but I mean, this is an area and a state that really does appreciate and uh, make it really enticing to veterans to come up here. So um, that's why we do get quite a few people that um, actually will list either Alaska or Texas as their state of origination when they get into the military, just because, I mean, both those states really do favor and take care of their veterans so much. All right. Well, Josh, is there any final thoughts, any, any tips or tricks or anything you'd like to share with somebody who's thinking about uh, making the jump? Well, I I'd say uh, do a lot of research. Um, there's a ton of information about moving to Alaska. Uh, I know a big problem I had was, you know, people were trying to tell me what it was like and I kind of asked them, when was the last time you went to Alaska? And of course, they never been here before. Uh, so, you know, talk, try to talk to people that have actually made the journey, do the research and find the information out for yourself. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just kind of accept too, that no matter how much you plan, there's always going to be something that doesn't go according to plan. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't think the hardest part of my trip would have been Iowa. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's not how it was advertised in the brochure. <laughs> no, but uh, it was it, my whole trip was uh, about forty five hundred miles, and I did it in a total of eleven days, and that's with a day and a half setback in Iowa. That's uh, that's booking it for that rig. Yeah, my uh, so I'll, I'll, we'll, we can end on a on a funny note. Uh, my dad just came along for the drive just to, you know, kind of hang out. He just sat there and played with his ham radio. And um, he we, we cross into Alaska and uh, he's like, well, we didn't die. Yet. <laughs> so, I was like, well, thanks for the vote of confidence, dad. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like, well, that is factually true. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. 
All right. Well, Josh, you know, I really do appreciate, um, appreciate how, um, you know, how easy it was working with, with you and Candace, you guys were on top of everything. You were obviously had done your research ahead of time. So, um, a lot of the, a lot of the training and education I, I usually have to do, you know, it sounds like you guys were already ahead of the, ahead of the game before we really started there. And, you know, you guys made anything happen that we needed to, to make happen quickly. And it really does kind of speak to just how proactive you guys are about, you know, attacking anything that um, it is that you set your mind to. So um, I guess just um, congrats as a family, keep it up. And um, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Jamin. Thank you.